All right. Well, we are here in uh, getting close to the very end of the Shorter Catechism. We got just a couple more to go. We're in numbers 105 and 106, and the last one is 107. And we're here looking at the fifth and the sixth petitions of the Lord's Prayer about forgiveness and obedience. And this is what we most often feel. And when we pray, we must, we're most often praying around this kind of, of a thing. We need to learn from Christ how to pray for them. Now, remember, we talked about last week, the fourth petition was give us this day our daily bread. That was for our bodies, our physical bodies. But the fifth and sixth petitions, which are the last, there's two of them. There's only one of number four. One for the body, but two for the soul. Here's the Puritan Thomas Watson. He said, observe hence that we are to be more careful, meaning caring more for, our own souls than our bodies, more careful for grace than for daily bread, and more desirous to have our souls saved than our bodies fed. And if that's what we desire, are being taught to desire for ourselves, certainly we should desire that for others, for the good of their soul, not over against the good of their bodies, but double care for the soul as for the body. So let's look at one question, or question 105. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. Now, that's a clear statement, but also it seems a little bit fuzzy. And when you think about the fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we say it rotely, but have we thought it through? First is the obvious thing that we are asking for forgiveness, right? We see that Psalm 51. If you don't know, uh, just kind of the orienting yourself in the Psalms, David is the chief writer of the Psalms. And he writes uh, um, oftentimes out of things happening in his life. And his life is chiefly recorded in 1st and 2nd Samuel. There's also a bit in 1st Kings and in 1st Chronicles, but that's David. So you can find Psalms that are attached to moments happening in his life in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st Kings and 1st Chronicles. In Psalm 51, that's after he is uh, outed by Nathan the prophet for his uh, adulterous affair with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah. And it's a psalm of repentance. He's praying for forgiveness. So look at verses one and two of that psalm. They, the confession or the catechism cites these and verse, as well as verses seven and nine. He's prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Not anything that he's done, he's appealing to mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out is the, the idea of exactly what you think of, of wiping ink or, or erasing, blotting it out, removing it from the records. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a, an herb to be made into kind of like a poultice or a, um, a gel. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Forgiveness is what he's praying for, this repentance, and it's appealing to God's mercy. 
because we are not owed that. We also see Daniel praying in this way in Daniel 9. He's praying as a representative of the nation corporately. But hear this in verse 17 and 19, through, or through 19. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Not our righteousness, but your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So we see there repentance, forgiveness. It should be a regular part of the Christian life because you think about it, when are we not sinning? When am I not sinning? I should always be repenting then. A redeemed person just becomes more aware of their sins over time. That's as you grow in Christ, you become more aware. The more is seen, then the more forgiveness is valued and needed, which is why this prayer doesn't go away once you kind of grow up a little bit. It just becomes more and more powerful and potent. Our hatred for sin grows over time and our sorrow over transgression heightens. David is weeping over his sins. Daniel is heart-wrenched over the sins of their people. We must know that every time that we ask for forgiveness, we receive it. So you look at David's pleas and it's almost like when he's, when he's pleading with God that, that he feels that there's a chance that it may not happen. Don't read it like that. Read it like that's how grieved he is over sins against a holy God. He hates it so much. He's not an entitled, uh, the best thing I think of like a son of a diplomat who has immunity in the country, doesn't have to ask for forgiveness. I know that I won't be punished. That's not the heart of a true believer. That's, that's when mom and dad can just say, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed and you're crushed by it because you love your mom and dad. The best coach I ever had in athletics, he never yelled at us, never yelled at us. It would just be like a, the, the hurt or like, man, you know what I do for you guys and why are you acting like this? We're just, oh, we're so sorry, Coach Selke. That's why David's heart is like that because we know we will be forgiven in Christ there is a bottomless well of mercy. Richard Sibbs, a Puritan, said there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Bottomless well. And as our awareness of sin and sorrow over it and our need, our recognition of our need for forgiveness grows, as it just gets bigger and bigger, we simultaneously become more and more aware of the bottomlessness of the well of the living water of Christ's mercy we just become more and more aware of it. It's just brimming with living water. And no matter how deep our sin goes, that well runs even deeper. And we see oftentimes that addressing sin is frowned upon in evangelicalism, talking about it, addressing it, dealing with it. But Jesus told us to pray about it. This is the regular rhythm of prayer is forgiveness. 
So then there must be something good that he intends for us in praying and confessing sins. Must be. There must be some specific grace that he gives us when we routinely ask for forgiveness of sins. There must be. Sin as a topic must not then be so damaging or burdensome to us as to hurt or cripple us. But we're led to think that, that if you talk about it, if you bring it up a whole lot, then, then it's just gonna hurt people. Jesus, does he intend to hurt us? No, he says in this very same chapter about God the Father giving good gifts. He knows how to give good gifts, or in the same sermon, rather, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. If he gives us good gifts, then this prayer must be a good gift. Then it must be good. So the topic is not so damaging and burdensome as to break us beyond repair because Jesus commanded us to pray regularly forgiveness. And if you're praying for forgiveness, it means you are acknowledging your sin. I need to be forgiven. And he also said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. There still is a yoke and there still is a burden, but it's easy and it's light. It's good for you. And when we fail to confess sin regularly, I think what we do is, is we disobey the command of Christ, obviously, but we also miss the blessing, the grace, the mercy that he intends to shower on us, that we have now access to through repentance and faith, trusting in him and now being made sons of the heavenly father. So we do first in, the, in that petition, I need forgiveness, but then also, the second thing is help me to forgive others. We're gonna dig in this a little bit, but here's what is cited by the, uh, by the catechism, by the Westminster divines. Matthew 18, 23 and following, we're familiar with this parable, but it's powerful. When Jesus is speaking, he says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents is equivalent to the day roughly of $10 million. But, but more so, that's $10 million worth of silver, but more so in buying power. It's worth even more when you go to spend it. So that's the debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This is an insurmountable debt. This is not even a lifetime of work can pay this off. That's what you're supposed to see. He's pleading for something. I'm gonna give my whole life to paying for this, knowing that that will still be inadequate. He can't pay it off. It's impossible. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Just wiped it clean. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's a hundred days wages. That's a third of a working man's year. That's what that is. So it's big, it's, it's, it's supposed to be noticeable, but it's not insurmountable. And it's accomplished, you can accomplish it in a year and be done with paying that debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out, put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt that you, because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, this is, that's a heavy thing. I mean, you look at the wages of this and, and it's just, it's an insurmountable. You look at the juxtaposition and we can see it. It's so obvious in a story like that, a parable. But look at the verses immediately following the Lord's prayer. In Matthew 16, verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. You are functionally praying condemnation upon yourself when you recite the Lord's Prayer and you don't forgive other people. Because how are you asking God to forgive you? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So God, I only want you to forgive me insofar as I'm willing to forgive others. And if I'm unwilling to forgive others, then what I'm saying is, God, you don't forgive me. That's a heavy thing to be praying. What we're supposed to see here is forgiven people forgive others. And this is included in the Lord's Prayer because the human, uh, ex uh, the human experience is constantly sinning and being sinned against, always happening. And once you've been broken out of the jail of sin by God's forgiveness, you can clearly see the damage of forgiveness not being given. Your own sinfulness is so great, but you are forgiven instantaneously instantaneously upon repentance and faith. How could you hold a single offense or a series of offenses or a lifetime of offenses against what you were forgiven? You should be so enamored with God's forgiveness of you that you don't have time to think about those who have sinned against you. Forgiveness should just come easy to you in a sense. Now, we're not talking about uh, reconciliation. We're not talking about restored trust. We're talking about just forgiveness here. I'm talking about crimes, and that, that doesn't mean that, that Christians never have crimes punished. We just forgive when people steal our cars. We forgive in our hearts, but God is still a God of consequences. We understand that. But this is talking about sin just against each other. Sin against you. Here's this thinking. If God forgave you, but you don't forgive others, what are you saying? You are more important than God. That's what you're saying. Sin against you is so egregious because you're so important, you can't be disrespected. That's what you're saying. That is the heart of an unbeliever. That's why those verses 14 and 15 can say that. If you won't forgive, then it's a real sign that you have not been forgiven. It's not because you lost your salvation because you forgot to give, forgive your friend or you held on to it for too long. You've just shown signs of unbelief. You have no concept of your real sin debt being completely remitted, that you will hold the smallest thing against somebody else. That's the real heart of it. It's a cause for worry about the state of your soul. And so we should pray regularly according to those things and be thinking about, I've been forgiven for so much, how do I view other people? How do I view their sin against me? Can I let it go? Can I forgive? Can I trust it to the Lord? So we pray that regularly. But also, quickly, in uh, the next last question of the whole thing. 106, what do we pray for in the sixth petition? In the sixth petition, which is, 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. The, the verse cited is Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the context of that? That's the garden of Gethsemane, right? That's Jesus telling his disciples how to pray in that garden. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because you may really not wanna do it, but your flesh is very weak. It's a statement upon our reality. Admitting our weakness and our proclivity to sin is essential. And if you overlook that as a category, then we've missed a major part of the reality of life. Living according to the truth is essential in every area. And this area, engaging in sin, is our daily experience. We're always dealing with this, always. This is a prayer of humility. Father, I am not strong. I will sin. Please keep me from circumstances wherein I really want to do that sin. I don't Keep me from even going there. Keep me from even being near that kind of thing. I love you so much, God, that I don't want to be anywhere near a situation where it would be attractive for me to sin against you. I mean, that's a steep prayer. Most of the time what we're praying is, get me as close to the line as I can be over. But Jesus is saying, lead me not into temptation. Don't take me anywhere near my temptations. Not sins, temptations to sin. I'm weak, I hate my weakness, please help me. You're praying for God to ordain your life around holiness and away from sinful circumstances. That's what we're praying, why? Because if he doesn't, odds are, you'll find yourself sooner or later sinning against him and you don't want to do that. So you're praying, keep me from that because I am weak, I am not strong. This is a prayer this petition that prioritizes sanctification, but prioritizes it. If that's not your priority, then you won't pray this. You, you're, not, you're not after that. You're hoping in getting close to the line. And this is the question that you get from teenagers. How, how far is too far with my girlfriend? How far is too far with my boyfriend? You're asking the wrong question. The question should be, how can I most glorify God in this relationship and walk in holiness at the same time. Not how far is too far. Show me the line. Who, who draws lines? Pharisees do, because it's easy to keep inside of lines. It's easy to do that. This prayer is completely opposite of that. This prioritizes sanctification. And if you're, it's not your priority, then you won't pray. We must pray this because our Lord instructed us to do that. We must hate sin enough to want God to control our steps away from it. That's how much we have to hate it, no matter what else we lose in the process, no matter what else we lose. And then second verse, 12, seven through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning what Paul had been able to see because of divine revelation from the Lord, to keep him from becoming proud a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, so that demonic oppression to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we pray to lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil when it does come, when the situations are difficult. So Paul's temptation here, he's praying for this messenger of Satan, this demonic oppression to go away. It's not going away. So then what's the temptation? To moan, to complain, to slander God, to sin in it, to sinfully lash out against people being controlled by this demonic oppression that's happening everywhere that he goes, to sin in the suffering. That's it. Does God still care about us when evil does befall us? Yes. We see here the answer is yes. That's why Jesus told us to pray for deliverance. Deliver me from evil because God wants to do that. Christ wouldn't have you pray for something that God's unwilling to do. He wants that to be prayed for. We may not be delivered from every trial, but we can be delivered from sinning in the trial. And that's the concept that we so often don't even think about. We get so surface levelly. That's the, that's the reality that we need to acknowledge that the prosperity gospel and the word faith has trickled into us way more than we realize. Because we would still pray that the goal is for me to get out of this pain. I won't say God doesn't ever ordain that pain. I'm too smart for that. But that the point is to get out of it, not to keep from sinning in it. Paul's phrase in Philippians 1, that great chapter where he's talking about the oppression and being in jail, people preaching against him while he's in jail. But he says that when he gets before them, he says, my prayer is that I will not chicken out when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, that I will not find a way to shorten the pain by deviating from the truth. Keep me from sinning in this trial, not just keep the trial away from me. That's what we're praying for. Christ doesn't instruct us to pray for that which the Father is unwilling to give. So we can endure it. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. That we can endure that he has not given us a temptation but such as is common to man. And along with the temptation, we provide a way of escape that we may endure it. And escape doesn't necessarily mean escaping from the actual painful circumstance, but escaping from sinning in that circumstance. That's what we pray for. And that's what God promises to give. And it comes from, it's bottled up in this great quote from the same Puritan, Thomas Watson. I'll read as we close. A drop of Christ's blood or a dram, meaning just like a thimble, of forgiving mercy is infinitely more valuable than all the delights under the sun. Daily bread may make us live comfortably, but forgiveness of sins will make us die comfortably. And that is a good word. Let's end on that. Lord, we thank you so much for these two petitions at the end of the prayer that you outlined for us. Lord, may we be thinking constantly about how to die well, not in a morbid sense, but knowing, like Paul's friend posted the other day, Tom, that we will all get to that moment and we want to be faithful there. And Lord, may we be doubly concerned for our souls over our bodies. May we be doubly concerned for the souls of our friends and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers than just their bodies. 
We know that our body is of concern because you command us to pray for daily bread. But you command us twice in regard to the soul for the forgiveness of our sins, the deliverance of evil, and the, the avoidance of temptation. Uh, may we think about that. And may we think about sin not in a, a, a twisted fixation, but teach us to think about it from your perspective. We do sin. And we have been eternally forgiven from it. But may we hate sin so much here. Teach us to hate sin so much here that when we do commit and we do transgress your word, that we would be so quick to confess and to restore fellowship, that we would be rapidly pursuing that, not out of any kind of legalistic, self-serving um, pompous and promoting ourselves to some level, but out of thankfulness for what you have done for us and out of a true heart level desire to be as near to you as we can and to be as like your son as we can and to be as free from evil as we can because we know that will be what heaven is like, free from all evil in the pursuit of all that is holy, good and righteous. And we want to be like that now. So help us, Lord, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We thank you for this great day. Bless us this week. May we walk in faithfulness, pursuing your glory and for the good of others around us and for our soul level good. All by your strength and all out of gratitude for what you have done at a point in time for all you've justified. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.